Hello. Tonight's Bible reading is going to come from 1 Samuel, chapter 13, verses 1 to 15. And it's on the screens. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash. And in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gabeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gebeah in Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Thanks, Mel. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Oh, I'm so loud. Sorry about that. Um, it's so good to be with you here tonight and so good that we can sing again. I am stoked. It's been a good week. Now, hopefully you have been with us on this journey in 1 Samuel. Um, just to recap, what we've been looking at so far is the Israelites, God's people. They rejected God as king and they asked for a human king. And they got given this man named Saul. And uh, Saul is who we're primarily looking at tonight. He is king of Israel. And we are looking at what Saul does when he comes under pressure. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a time where I totally lost my perspective because I was under pressure. Now, some of you, particularly if you're youth, will have heard this story before, but I thought it was an important one to share. So when I was in year 12, I was very, very 
focused on doing well, and not just doing well, but being the best. Second place was not an option for me. If there was an assessment task, I wanted 98, and that was only good enough if it was first. I was super focused and driven on being the smartest person in my year. It was ridiculous. I wasn't very nice. Anyway, I remember it was term four of year 11 or term one of year 12, and I was in my very first assessment task for physics, and it was a practical exam. And I remember we were there doing the assessment task, and I froze. And in my head, I just thought, this. Uh, this assessment task, how I perform right here, is going to affect my HSC. And for me, my HSC mark was everything. I wanted a 98 ATAR. I was like, this is it. This is my goal. And I completely freaked out. I had a massive panic attack. I've never had a panic attack before. Teachers had to take me out of the classroom, take me down to the school counsellor. It was not a good time, and I was like, I don't know what happened. I just, I completely fell apart. And I remember a bit later in that year, I was driving to a maths exam, and I felt God say to me, he just said, Ruth, when you get to heaven one day, I am not going to care what your ATAR is. And I remember in that moment, I was like, oh, all right, <laughs> this... Um, this didn't change my goals at all, but God completely realigned my perspective. I still wanted to try hard, and I still wanted to do well, and I was still super competitive, a little bit too much. But God had taken a huge amount of pressure off me. He reminded me that his opinion of me was the only one that really mattered, and this pressure that I felt was something that I was putting on myself completely unnecessarily. But we all put pressures on ourselves. It may not be academically like me, but it could be to perform really well in some other thing that we're doing. Or it could be to be really loved by everyone and seen as popular or the person that people are attaining to be friends with or to attaining to be like. Or to look a certain way or whatever it is. It can be a whole range of things. And tonight we are going to look at how Saul lost his perspective when he came under a significant amount of pressure. And Saul's response to pressure, it isn't good, but it shouldn't surprise us. We have already seen some of Saul's sins and incompetence last week with what Shane shared with us. Last week, Shane showed us how Saul responded when he was chosen to be king. You might remember there was a scale and Saul, he had on one hand, he was like, there is a big expectation that these people have. It is a big role. It is really scary and really stressful. But on the other hand, we have a really big God, but Saul lost sight of that. The scale should always tip this way. No matter what God wants us to do, he is big enough to help us do it. Always back God. He is always going to win. He is always going to show up. But Saul couldn't see that, and so he went this way, and he freaked out, and he ran away. He lost perspective of what, who God was. But Saul did grow, he became king, and he did lots of things really right. And 1 Samuel 13 to 15 kind of outlines this early reign of King Saul. And they show um, some of the good things, but they also show how he continued to lose perspective when he was under pressure. And the point of these three chapters is that God rejects Saul as his king because he does a pretty bad job of following God. 
And tonight we are focusing on chapter 13. And if you remember last week, Saul had been specifically chosen to drive out the Philistines. This was his main job. This was kind of his role description when he became king. This is what God wanted him to do. And so far, Saul has done nothing about it. Saul was given two things to do by God. The first one was that he was to attack the Philistines at Gibeah, where he lived, his hometown, and get rid of them from there. And the second... Saul was meant to go to a place called Gilgal and wait for instructions from Samuel. Now, at this point, Saul had been king for about a year and he hadn't started to do either of these things. So already we're getting a sense that Saul might be a little bit slow in following God. But we get to the start of chapter 13 and it seems like Saul is lifting up his game. You feel like he's getting there. Let's read. It says, Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba. Geba, sorry. And that is a, that's the same place as Gebeah. It's either the same place or the people from Gebeah went to Geba. It, it's the same thing. So it looks like Saul is doing a good job. This is his first task and it's ticked off the list. But I find it a bit interesting that it's Jonathan that actually initiates this attack. And um, Jonathan is a guy we're going to learn more about next week. He is Saul's son, and he's a, really, he's a really good guy. He's a really good character. But he is the one who um, initiates this attack. Now, I'm not certain that that's wrong. I'm sure Saul had influence in that. I'm sure he told Jonathan to go do that. But I find it interesting that it was Jonathan who actually went and undertook that task. But either way, the first thing Saul was told to do, he had finally accomplished. Woohoo. Good job, Saul. One from one. Good job. But this attack on the Philistines got them mad. It was absolutely go time now. The war was on and the Philistines were not holding back. Let's read what it says. It says, Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. The Philistines were not messing about in this war. And if you remember, Jonathan had 1,000 men with him. Saul had 2,000 men with him. At best, they had 3,000 men. And the Philistine had soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Things were looking pretty bad for the Israelites. And they respond in a way that you would probably expect them to respond. They are seeing this overwhelming force of the Philistines in front of them. And this is what they do. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And I would say that that is definitely fair enough. If you that see that you're outnumbered, like, I don't even know, like 10 to 1, you're probably not going to be feeling too confident in this fight. It seems like staying there uh, would be like a death wish. That is what it would look like. Saul, to his credit, actually stayed in Gilgal. It says that all the troops with him were quaking with fear. 
Now, I cannot imagine how stressful this situation would have been. Heaps of your mates have just legged it and are hiding in caves and are like, I don't want any of that. Saul's there. There's a few of them. The people who are there are freaking out. They're like, we're going to die, probably. They're just, they're not having a good time. It is really, really bad situation. But do you remember what the second thing was that God told Saul to do? He said, go to Gilgal and wait for instructions from Samuel. So let's see what happens. Saul's there and it says, Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. This whole situation is looking like a disaster. Saul's waiting there seven days in terrifying situations. Samuel's not showing up. The other men have just actually bailed now. It is a really, really stressful situation. It seems like everything has fallen apart. So what does Saul do? It says, Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Now, that seems to me like a pretty reasonable action. Things are looking pretty bad. Turn to God, see what he has to say about it. But unfortunately, this was the wrong decision. See, what happened was Saul stopped waiting and he took action. He offered up these sacrifices to seek the favor of the Lord. And that kind of makes sense. If you're in that situation, I would be like, God, your dude's not here. There is an army. All our guys have left. What do you want me to do? Let me come seek favor with you. It all kind of makes sense, right? But um, it was definitely not what God wanted him to do. This pressure that Saul was under is almost unimaginable. And he is their leader. So he decides to act but he shouldn't have. He was told to wait. And I feel really bad for Saul in this situation because there have been countless times where I've been under pressure that is far, far less than this and I have still made some pretty bad decisions. But Saul lost his perspective and he acted disobediently. It seems like Saul did the logical thing but it wasn't the right thing. But we can all relate to this, right? I mean, none of us, as far as I know, have ever led an army into battle and have been waiting on a word from God. But we all have, we all know what it feels like to come under pressure and to let that influence our actions. It could be something like peer pressure. We want to fit in and we want people to like us. So sometimes we do things that we just know are stupid. We feel that social pressure. It could be drinking too much or it could be gossiping about other people. It could be being somewhere that we shouldn't. But we feel that social pressure so we do it anyway. Or maybe it is the pressure to perform well, whether that's in sport or in study or in our jobs or in what we create or anything that we set out to do. We feel pressure because when you set goals or when you're trying to do something, people can see really easily if you have succeeded or if you're failing. 
And sometimes that pressure can make us not very nice people. I know this for sure. My mum, my poor mum, she said to me not that long ago, she's like, Ruth, I always know when you're stressed with work or with college or with friends or whatever. And I know what she means because I go into myself. I don't want to talk to her. I get rude. I get abrupt. Even just before, mum was trying to encourage me and I felt stressed and I was like, mum, just don't talk to me. And that, that is terrible because when I come under pressure of that busyness or study or whatever it is, I lose my perspective and I become self-absorbed. And that is something I really need to work on. I love you, Mum. Thank you for being good to me. Um, or maybe it is the pressure of busyness. We stack so much onto our plates that we are either constantly running around like headless chickens or we're sacrificing time for things that are really more important. This kind of pressure is what messes up our priorities or it shows what our priorities really are. And I mean this in the kindest way possible and I am saying this to myself as well. But I can promise you, you are not too busy to spend time with God. You're not, I'm not, no one is. It's just a matter of where our priorities truly lie. And I mean this for myself as well. So often I will think, this is just a really hectic week with study or I've got a lot on for work. I'll focus on spending time with God next week when I've got more time and I've got more space and less things are on my plate. But that is just simply not true. There is never going to be a time where things are perfect and you're just going to magically fall into this beautiful habit of spending time with our God. It's not going to happen. We are going to fill our time with whatever we think is most important or whatever we want to fill it with. So unless I am learning to consistently prioritize time with God, it will never happen. Don't let the pressure of a busy life make you lose perspective on what is most important. We all have times when we let the pressure of our situation do that, uh, impact how we see things and what we choose to do, and sometimes we make bad decisions. And we all understand what that feels like, so I feel pretty bad for Saul in this story. He had a huge pressure, and so he made a choice. Unfortunately, it was the wrong one. But I guess the biggest question when you come to this passage is why? Why is what Saul did so bad? I mean, he offered a sacrifice to God, not to Satan. Like, it's like, why would offering something to God be like, surely this is not the worst thing Saul could have done in this situation? But Samuel is so angry and he says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And because of this, Samuel tells Saul that his family will not be king over Israel. Instead, God is going to choose a different king, one who chooses to follow him consistently. The problem with this is that God didn't want Saul to make an offering and to seek favor with the Lord. You know what would have given him favor with the Lord? Wait. 
That is what God wanted him to do. He wanted him to wait, even though it looked terrible, even though it looked impossible. God said, wait, and he was going to show up for Saul. To use this scale analogy again, Saul saw this big pressure from the Philistines and he knows by now that there is a big God, but it seems like God's guy isn't showing up. Samuel is nowhere to be seen and he, he freaks out and he does this again and he decides to go his own way and make his own plan. But we have a big God who is never going to let us down. A God who always shows up when he says he will. But Saul couldn't see that in the the immediate situation. So he stopped following God. Just like last week, what Saul did made sense, but that doesn't mean it was right. Because he didn't trust God. Saul was told to wait even when everyone else ran away, even when the situation seemed impossible. He was told to wait and he didn't. And he acted. And that is really hard. And God's response to Saul seems really, really harsh. No one in your family is going to be king over these people anymore. But God could see more than we do. And he could see that Saul's heart would never fully be God's. And this is not a once-off incident. The sin of choosing to go his own way when the pressure is on was something Saul continues to do. And God cannot have someone like that leading his people. God wants someone who listens to him even when things look bad. He wants someone who trusts him fully, not someone who just trusts him when it looks like things are going well. He wants someone who doesn't lose their perspective when they're faced with a huge pressure. And unfortunately, that person isn't Saul. And there is a lesson in this for us too. Saul's mistake was that he rushed ahead of God's plan. He wasn't able to wait when God said wait. He knew what God wanted him to do. This wasn't like he was unsure. He had a word from God about what he was meant to do. But when it looked like that way wasn't working out, he chose to do his own thing. And whilst, again, we are probably never going to be in this situation leading an army, we do have times where we are certainly tempted to rush ahead of what God has for us. To be honest, sometimes it feels like God is working too slowly in our lives or like God isn't working at all. So we feel like we've got to get the ball rolling for him, like, oh, maybe I'll just do this and God will catch up to me. That is not how it should be because God's plan and his timing is always better. Saul didn't like the look of God's plan, so he made his own. And it had really, really sad consequences. I think for us, we can fall into the trap of rushing ahead from God when the societal pressure of what our lives should look like catches up to us. 
Whether or not we like it, there is these general expectations that we come up against in our life. By this age, you should be doing this. By this age, you should have learnt that. By this age, you should have achieved this, and so on. And this is a pressure that I think pretty much everyone faces throughout their lifetime. And I think this, this can look like a million different things, but I, I believe a huge one of these is relationships. And this is kind of like an evolving pressure. When you're younger, you feel the pressure to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend as your friends start dating people. Then there's your pressure to have your first kiss by a certain age or to start having sex when your friends are having sex. Then as you get older, people start to get married and you feel this pressure to keep up with them and what they're doing. Then there becomes, uh, you, you feel this, this internal pressure really strongly, but then there comes a point where this internal pressure isn't so internal anymore and it becomes an external pressure. People ask you, are you dating anyone? Do you want to get married? Are you worried about being single? And then there, it grows and it develops as we get older and then people who get married, they face a whole different kind of pressure. Are you having kids? When are you having kids? How many? What's your plan? It's all so, so hard. And as we get older, the pressure of relationships, particularly singleness, continues to build and people respond to this pressure in all kinds of different ways. You see people who date people who aren't good for them or stay in relationships that are just bad because a bad relationship is better than the pressure of being single. And that is so sad because the pressure of being in a relationship makes us lose perspective of the plan that God has for us, whatever that may be. And so sometimes we can try and find ourselves rushing ahead of God's plan or forcing something that isn't right because of this pressure that we feel. It's hard to wait when God tells you to wait, or it's even harder when God's answer might be no. But it's during these times that we need to press into God, to spend time with him so that he can help us to maintain a correct perspective despite what the external pressures are putting on us. But relationships aren't the only sort of societal pressure that we face. People come under pressure to have a direction and to succeed in their life goals. Right from when we're little kids, we ask people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that is not necessarily a bad thing at all. But as we get older, the answer, I don't know, becomes harder and harder to give. We expect kids in year 12 to know what they want to do with the rest of their life, to have a clear direction and a plan of how they are going to get there. But life is so much messier than that. Early 20s are confusing as people are working out who they are and what they want to do. They're asking questions like, are my dreams achievable? Do I actually want to do that? Am I going to commit to this? What am I going to commit to? What is my 10-year plan? 
Now, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but I hate 10-year plans. They have never worked for me. I don't even know what I'm doing next year, let alone 10 years. If you know what you want to do in your 10-year plan and you're going for it, then good on you, brilliant. But in my experience, my life has never turned out how I thought it would in 12 months later, let alone 10 years later. But I think that that is okay. Life will take unexpected twists and turns, but there is a pressure to know exactly where we're headed and, ex- and an expectation that we know exactly how we're going to get there. When you don't know what you want to do, the future seems unclear and scary. But I encourage you, don't lose perspective. Just because you can't see what God wants to do with your life doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan. He does have a plan and he will help you get there. You will get there. Don't give up. Don't be stressed out by what your friends are doing or where they're up to or how clear their goals seem to be. Keep pressing into God. Keep working it out with him and he will help you get there. Now, the last pressure I want to talk about is one that I'm convinced every single person feels and feels for a good portion of their life. These are conversations that I've had with people of all sorts of age range, and that is the pressure of achievement. There comes a point in everyone's life where they start to feel like they should have done more with their lives than they currently have. I remember the first time, clearly the first time I felt this. It was when I realized that most of the people getting signed to EPL teams, like professional soccer teams in England, were younger than me. I was like, what? I was like, they're babies. I'm a baby. How are you playing for professional football for Man United? I don't know. It blew my mind. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? There are people out here 17 years old, like being professional superstars. And it's crazy. And it just builds from there. And it seems like there, this is a pressure that we feel no matter what we have achieved. I've heard this conversation between all kinds of people. Well, at least you're engaged or married and have kids. I'm still single. Well, at least you know what you're doing with your life. I feel so lost. Well, at least you've worked and you have savings. I still have nothing in the bank. Well, at least you have a really good group of friends. I feel really lonely. And the list could go on and on because we can look at pretty much anyone else's life and say, well, at least you have this. I don't. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that comparison is the thief of joy. I believe that that could not be more true. We naturally have a habit of looking at someone else's life and comparing it to our own. I do this all the time. I have some of the most beautiful, creative, amazing friends in the world. I love them. They're so talented and so often I'll be like, why is she so good at this? Or why can he do that and I can't? It is really hard, but it is really important to celebrate those things about other people, not make yourself feel bad for them. And we see this in the Bible. This is such a natural human thing to do. When Jesus is with his closest followers, one of them is very honest with him and they have this conversation. It says, when Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? 
Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And I love this verse so much because I completely relate to Peter. I know what it feels like to feel like everyone else around you is doing better. You're like, God, why does this guy get the good end of the deal and I'm stitched up with this whatever. I know what that feels like. Peter is really honest in that moment. But Jesus is super clear. It doesn't matter what I'm doing in anyone else's life. You are to follow me. Because when we start looking around at other people's, it introduces a pressure that makes us lose perspective so easily. And soon after, we become, uh, we struggle a lot to continue to follow God when we feel like He has forgotten about us or He has shortchanged us. There are countless ways we can feel like we're falling behind or like we're not keeping up with societal expectations. But it's important to remember that this is a pressure that God did not put on us. God has a plan. We may not know what that plan looks like exactly, but he will never let us down. He hasn't placed a time pressure on us. Saul felt a time pressure in a really tangible way when he faced these armies. But God, if he tells us to wait, then wait. This is not something he has asked of us to do. It's not something he has asked us to feel stressed about. Don't try to rush ahead of God. All we are called to do is to follow. It won't always be easy. Sometimes this side of the scales looks pretty heavy and Saul's logic seems pretty right. But it never will be. Trusting God will always be worth it. But ask him to help you to keep a good perspective while you're under pressure. He is always right there with you. Keep filling your mind with his word. The reason why we want to read the Bible is because this is God's words to us. It's his truth that will counteract all the pressures and voices from society. Spend time in your heart praying with him, getting to know the voice of your father, the one that is going to guide you and lead you and speak truth in times of great stress. God will help you with it, so just let him help you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you call us to follow you and that you don't ask anything of us to qualify for it. You don't ask us to be good enough for it. You don't ask anything other than for us to trust and to follow. Now, just pray for us, Father, as, um, as things get stressful, as um, different things pop up in our lives that are really hard and things that um, make us want to walk away from you or make us want to make our own plan. I pray that we will stand firm in you and that you will guide us, that you will minister to us and that your voice will be the loudest one. Amen.